Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. middle of a great series, Becoming Rich. That's such a great title. (laughs) What does the Bible say about becoming rich? This is week four and we've heard some great stuff and I just want to continue the conversation about becoming rich. I called my message today, Heart Matters, because I think becoming rich, it's all about heart matters, matters of the heart. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So I want to take, can we start off by having a look at two parables that Jesus um, said for us. Matthew 13 and verse 44. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid it. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Matthew 13, 45. Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls and who, when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Sometimes we miss out on the very best thing for us, the best thing that God has for us because we're not really sure what we're looking for. I'll give you an example. Um, we're building a, a, an extension, a small extension at our property. And um, Pete, my husband's been teaching my oldest son, Tim, um, some of the some trading skills. And the other day, Tim was out there. He had his nail a tool belt on. And um, he was tacking up a um, piece of plasterboard and pulled out a nail and tacked it up and pulled out another nail. And no, that's no good. Pulled out another nail threw it over his shoulder, pulled out another nail. Yep, that, that's good. Pulled out another nail, threw it away. Pulled out another nail, no. Pulled out another nail, no. And his dad came up to him and said, Tim, what are you doing throwing nails away? And he said, um, the point's on the wrong end. <laughs> and his dad said to him, you idiot, those nails are for the wall behind you. Sometimes we just don't have all the information that we need. (laughs) My husband tells that so much better than I did, but it was funny. (laughs) I want to talk today about the fact that God created us with sticky hearts. I said to my husband, I'm going to talk about sticky hearts. And he said, what's sticky? (laughs) We've got sticky hearts. They like to stick to something. Another word that the Bible uses for sticky is cling. And Jesus tells, you, tells us in Matthew 6 that our hearts like to cling to treasure. Listen to the couple of these verses. Psalm 63 verse 8 says, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me, says the psalmist. Psalm 31, he says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. In Romans, Paul says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. 
And in Jonah, the prophet says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. If we don't know what the real thing is, the pearl of great price, we're in danger of clinging to counterfeit treasure. What treasure is clinging to your heart? Or what treasure is your heart clinging to? Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 19, 21. We've heard this a couple of times this month. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're all familiar with earthly treasures. No problem recognising treasures that we love, that moths can destroy, rust can destroy and that thieves can steal. In fact, that's probably happened to most of us, hasn't it? Jesus is not saying we can't have them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Another translation says do not store up Do not hoard, collect, accumulate for yourselves. Jesus is saying stop hoarding earthly treasures. They're not only using all our money and using all our time, but our hearts so easily cling to them. To counterfeit treasures, to substitutes for the real thing. And Jesus said don't. Do it. He said, stop it. He said to us, stop doing that. But instead, he said this. He said, instead, store up, collect, hoard, keep on collecting, accumulate, stockpile for yourselves heavenly treasures. There's something better than our earthly possessions. Amen? <laughs> Luke's, let's have a look at Luke 16, verse 11. And Jesus is speaking again. He says, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Luke 16, 13. Because no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Passion Translation translates true riches as eternal treasures of the spiritual realm. So what are true riches? What are these eternal treasures? I know you're all asking that in your, in your heads. Do we know what to look for? Do we know how to find them? Do we know how to get them? In Ephesians, Paul tells, Paul tells us that God is rich in mercy. He describes the riches of God's glory. Anyone sense glory in the room this morning? He describes the riches of God's grace and kindness towards us. He says there is no end to the depth of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge. It's a bottomless, the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
He preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. True riches are knowing God himself. It's trusting in God. God himself is our true riches. It's Jesus. It's knowing Christ. True riches is a personal an experiential, daily, intimate walk with Jesus. True riches is an awareness and an encounter of his presence. It's a step-by-step, hand-in-hand walk with the Holy Spirit. It's the joy of letting God reign in your life. Eternal treasures of this spiritual world is a, commu- is a communion with the Trinity. Wow. It's the burden in a surrendered heart whose only cry is thy kingdom come. True riches is overwhelming peace and unspeakable and uncontainable joy. So, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead overindulge yourselves in true riches. You know that as we fall in love with him, we fall out of love with our stuff. It's true. As we fall more in love with him, we fall out of love with the stuff that has our gaze in this life. It's true. It's impossible to serve two masters. Keep falling in love with Jesus. We need to do this. We need to be intentional with this. Just have a think about what's your favourite thing to do, you know, your favourite hobby or your favourite holiday. Have a think about how intentional you are to make sure that you get to do that. Falling in love with Jesus, we need to be (laughs) more intentional. There are some, some adjustment, adjustments, though, that may need to be made if we want to stop laying up earthly treasures for ourselves and stop clinging to them. JL used this word two weeks ago, adjustment, and I loved it, so I'm using it today. There's some adjustments that we can make, so let's have a look at a couple of those. Adjustment one, we need a change of view. Living for God is a lifetime of change and transformation, isn't it? It's a whole lifetime of that and it can be slow. And often we don't even realise that we need it. Sometimes the danger is not always so obvious. Here's an example. If you can put that first picture up, please, Wes. Here's a picture of beautiful, beautiful dolphins. Aren't they gorgeous? (laughs) And we know they're dolphins because we can see them. Next picture. Here they are frolicking in the water. They're just gorgeous. And um, why are they so gorgeous? Because we know they're dolphins. Now that one, we can still see it's a dolphin. Next picture, thanks, Wes. Okay, we want to be sure this one is a dolphin and not a shark fin. But that's easy because have a look at this picture. There's a diagram. And it says to us that sharks have a straight edge on their dorsal fin 
and dolphins have a, have a curved edge. So it's easy to recognise a shark fin from a dolphin fin. So I want to give you a little test. Let's have a look at this next picture. What do you reckon? Dolphin, yes. Very, very good. There's a nice curve there. Let's have a look at the next picture. Ooh, no curve on that one. <laughs> very good. That one's a shark. Shark fin, because we've got a nice clear angle on no curve. Let's have a look at the next one. What do you reckon? Oh, I can see a curve there. That's a dolphin. Everyone who reckons a dolphin? Yep. Awesome. Next one. Oh, now this one's a little bit further away and our angle's changing just a little bit. Put your hand up if you think this is a dolphin. Yeah, we can see a bit of a curve. No! It's a shark. I'm telling you, it's a shark. Oh my goodness, you cannot believe what they write in books. That's a shark. Okay, let's have a look at our last picture. Oh, now that's a good reason to never go in the water again. And I'm not. You cannot see the angle of that fish's fin. And it could be dangerous being in the water. Amen? Everyone said amen. <laughs> our view, our frame of reference when dealing with our money is often different to God's. And we need some adjusting, all of us. He knows more than we do. He sees the whole picture. It's important that we think the way he does so that we can honour God with our earthly treasure and be free to pursue true treasures. Okay. First change of view we need with our money is we need to realise that it all comes from him. Before I can ever understand how to be content in whatsoever state I find myself in, I must understand a fundamental truth, that all the money I have, everything I've earned, everything I've saved, everything that I inherited, it all belongs, comes from him. An understanding of this, of sovereignty, permits us to be content. Let me read Ecclesiastics 5.19. This verse says, To whom God has given wealth and possessions and given him power to enjoy them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labour, this is the gift of God. Wealth is a gift from God. God gives wealth. Now have a look at this verse, Proverbs 22.2. It says, The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord, is the, ma the Lord is the maker of them all. Whoa. Did you realise God makes the rich and he makes the poor? He's the maker of them all. He's sovereign. He gets to decide who will be rich and who will be poor. It's up to him. My job is I listen, I obey, I surrender, I steward well what he's given me. I'm thankful I give, but he gets to obey. Amen? He gets to choose. Amen? This is true contentment. Some of you may never have experienced this. This is true contentment. 
But I know some of you are thinking, I still want to be rich. Say to the person on your right, I know you want to be rich. Okay, adjustment two in our view. It all comes from him, but we must also see clearly that it all belongs to him. It's all his. We're stewards, we're caretakers, we're managers of God's money. Amen? Sounds important? It is. It's really important. The extra cash is not yours. The bills that you can't pay, they're not yours. They're God's. Ha! Isn't that awesome? It's all his. It belongs to him. Dad, what are we doing with your money today? Dad, how are we paying this bill today? This truth can be easily understood in our heads. Not so easy for our hearts to get. I'm still getting it. Last week, Pastor Josh mentioned the tithe mentality. And I was like, oh my goodness. The tithe mentality is what people have when they give God 10%. Yep, that's yours, God. The rest is mine. It's disgusting, it really is. We just haven't realised that it all belongs to him, that it's not for me. Freedom and peace come when we surrender everything to God. Anyone ever feel like you've got a bit more debt than's comfortable? Probably lots of us in the room. Debt that is uncomfortable. Here's a good description for that. Piercing myself with many pangs. (laughs) In 1 Timothy, Paul says to us, piercing ourselves with many sorrows, causing ourselves a lot of pain. Why do we do it? We were created to feast on true riches, but when we don't, we settle for substitutes to feel content. Consumer debt, the stuff that we don't really need, we want. It's so easy, it's just a little signature on a little dotted line, and we instantly increase our standard of living. It's really easy, isn't it? It's a constant temptation, particularly, I think, for the younger generation. One person put it this way, we are willing to follow the rabbit trail of every selfish desire I can afford and every one I can't afford. Lord, help us. Amen. Third view that needs adjusting. So it all comes from him, it all belongs to him, and it's all for him. Paul tells us that food and clothing are enough to be content with. Our culture, our humanistic, materialistic, consumeristic culture, though, tells us that we need more. Food and clothing, Paul says. But everything we see, everything we hear, everything we read, the music we listen to, preaches to us that we need more. Once upon a time, we would replace something when it broke. Can anyone remember doing that when your toaster broke? You'd go out and buy a new one. Now we just upgrade. (laughs) We upgrade. Instant gratification. (laughs) Margaret's pointing to Pastor Bob. (laughs) Oh, go for it, Pastor Bob. 
Um, but instant gratification, we're addicted to it. This genera- Every one of us in this room, to some degree, are addicted to instant gratification. Do you know why we are? Because we're not addicted to true riches. We're not addicted to Jesus. I cannot steward well something that I love more than God. It all comes from him. It all belongs to him. It's all for him. Okay, I want anyone in the room, put your hand up if you're filthy rich. Oh, we got two hands, <laughs> filthy rich. Not very much response because what is rich? Rich is a moving line, isn't it? In research done by MRC last year, they said they discovered that 60% of Australians no longer, th- no longer think that having one million in assets is rich. It's true. I can remember when I thought that was rich. I don't think that's rich anymore. Being rich is a moving line. If I were to ask all of you in this room, how much more money would make you feel rich? You would probably all say just a little bit more. Maybe a lot more, some of you. A little bit more. The reality is that over 3 billion people on the planet live off less than $2 a day And many of us in this room spent $5 this morning buying a coffee on our way here. We're not poor. In a global perspective, um, we're not rich. So, yeah, we're not poor. (laughs) Many of us drove our own car here. Only 9% of people in the world get to do that. Only 9%. Puts us in the top 9%. All of us in this room. You know that someone else milks a cow, so that I can have milk on my cereal. I don't have to milk the cow, neither do you. I don't have to cut the head of a chicken. I know that's a big ori, but I don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. We don't have to cut the head of a chicken ourselves so that we can enjoy KFC or making butter chicken at home. Someone does it for us. Is that true? Ha <laughs> Someone else does it for us. Most of you sitting in this room right now, most of us have got hundreds of dollars of technology in our pocket or in our hand or in our handbags. In a glo- from a global perspective, I want you to say to the person next to you, you're rich. Tell the person on the other side, you're rich. Okay, it's not a sin to be wealthy. God makes the rich and the poor. God makes the wealthy. It's a sin to be wealthy and not steward it well because I use it all for myself. So, we are rich. And our wealth, in this room we're rich and our wealth is from him, it belongs to him and it's for him. Amen? We may not feel rich, but we are. So what I want us just to do is I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want us all together just to yell out where we are rich. Can we do that? One, two, three. 
We are rich. Okay, I think you can do better. Why don't we just stand up? Stand up. Bit of gratitude, thankfulness for this beautiful country that we've been born in or migrated to. Are you ready? One, two, three. We are rich. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can sit down. This is good news. It is, isn't it? It's good news. We don't have to feel guilty about it. God makes the rich and the poor. We don't apologise for it. We steward it well and we surrender it all to him. Amen? So the good news is I'm rich. There's bad news. Do you want to hear the bad news? The bad news, the good news is I'm rich. The bad news is I'm rich. It's true. Being rich can be a huge spiritual disadvantage. Those that are rich, our lives are full of distractions that overwhelm us with temporal pleasures and earthly riches that causes us to forget what is really important in life. It's true, isn't it? You know, those living in third world countries, you know how much stress less they suffer than we do? Because of all our stuff. This is why for some people, abundance is spiritually harder to handle faithfully than need. It's all from him. It all belongs to him and it's all for him. Ready for a little bit more adjusting? It's a tough word, isn't it? Adjustment two. We need to demolish the lies. Money lies. It promises what only God can provide. I want to look at three lies really quickly. Let's have a look. I forgot to press my clock. Oh, we're getting on. We're going to race through these. Three lies that money promises. First lie is money promises security. Abundance for rich people like us in this room can obscure our weak points and our inadequacies. And give us a misleading sense of security. It can cover over that. This false sense of security often looks like independence and self-righteousness. It's dangerous. Jesus said it was dangerous. But it doesn't feel dangerous. In fact, it feels good. It feels great. Who feels good when they've got money in the bank? We like to feel in control. Most of us want to be in control and we love to not feel needy. The kingdom of heaven, though, it's an upside-down kingdom. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he meant it. In Mark 10, he said, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Don't believe the lie that stuff or money brings security. Lie two. Money promises that it will supply significance. Significance, it's another basic human need. We all needed it. God created us to have it. But we live in a look-at-me generation and we believe that our stuff makes us more acceptable. Do you know that there is such a thing as fake family photos that people all over the world pay huge amounts of money to real companies to have fake 
family photos superimposed onto their Instagram pages so that their friends can see this super-duper holiday they've been on and be really impressed by them and want to be like them. It's true. Now, I didn't pay any money for these, but here's a couple of examples. There's the Wigand family <laughs> celebrating Pete's birthday Ooh, at the Grand Canyon. How great are we? Let's have a look at the next one. Here's Daniel. He's just trotting through London on his world holiday. He also gets to stop over in China just for a few minutes. There he is. And last one. Here's Timothy yachting around the Bahamas, nonetheless with Scott and Stella's dog. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, Luke 12, verse 15 says this, Then he said to them, watch out. Jesus said that a lot. <laughs> watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. He is impressed. He's impressed with our faithfulness and our obedience. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions or accomplishments. Amen? Mm. Lie number three. Lie number three, money provides happiness. Who wants to be blessed and live a blessed life? We all do. Absolutely, I do. Yep, of course we do. Who thinks that a little bit money, a little bit more money would make you a little bit happier? Honestly, yep. Yeah, yeah there's not many hands going up. Be honest, come on. No lying in church. A little bit more money would make us a little bit happier, yes. But how much more? That moving line, remember. Have a look at this quote from Jim Carrey. This guy's a fairly rich guy. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Our problem is our sticky hearts stick to the wrong treasure in our search for happiness. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. Read that every day. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I want to read to you a question that I heard Francis Chan, he's a preacher, heard him the other day, and he posed this question to our generation. He said, if you could have heaven, if you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, with all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, with all the natural beauties that you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever experienced, with no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? We must learn find our significance, our security and our happiness in Jesus. We must and stop believing the lies. Amen. 
Adjustment three. I'm going to race through this. We could probably all do with a heart checkup. You know that heart disease, you can't catch it. You don't catch a heart attack when someone sneezes near you. It's not contagious. There's risk factors that sneak up on you with our natural heart. It's the same with our spiritual hearts. There is a reason that nearly half of Jesus' parables talk about money and possessions. Our sticky hearts want to love them more than we love him. So how do I know if I love money or possessions more than God? How do I know? We all want to know, don't we? How do I know? Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he suggests taking a litmus test of three indicators that may be warning signs for us. We're just going to race through this. Indicator one, your imagination may help reveal what our heart is clinging to. What does your heart dwell on and think about? When you have nothing to do and you're just daydreaming, where does your thought life wander off to? What do you fantasise about? Most of us has probably done this one. How would I spend a million dollars if I won lotto? How many hours have probably lots of us spent fantasising about that question? Our imagination is a good indication of what my heart may be desiring. For you, does your imagination ever default to just wanting him and just thinking about him? Good question. Indicator two, your spending. What do you spend your money on most effortlessly? Is it clothes, houses, vacations, games, hobbies? Maybe it is anything that brings comfort, makes life more comfortable. Maybe that's what we spend our money on. Instead of spending, some of us like to hoard it in banks because the money in the bank is serving the idol of security in our heart. Others constantly worry about never having enough and never paying their bills. We can fake our prayers, but we cannot fake what is written on our bank statement. It's true. <laughs> Indicator three. What is my heart clinging to? Your emotions. When do you get the most upset? This is a good indication of an idol. What makes you feel the happiest? Am I scared because something I view as so important is being threatened? What would make you say, if I couldn't have that, life would no longer be worth living for me? Tim Keller's wife says, pull up, grab them, and pull up your uncontrollable emotions by the roots, and you'll usually find your idols clinging to them. Good indicators. Do I love money more than God? In a few minutes, we're going to spend a couple of minutes waiting on God, just sitting with him, enjoying his love for us, feasting on him. But just in summary, this matter of our heart, it's a battle to have our sticky, clinging hearts serving the right master. Amen.
It doesn't just automatically happen, does it? Where is our treasure? Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. This is so true. Our heart wants to follow our stuff. So Jesus sternly and directly commands us to surrender your stuff to me. Peter and the disciples did. They left home and fields and family and children and they surrendered everything to him. God doesn't need our stuff. He wants our hearts. He wants my heart. He cares for me. He cares for you. He wants your heart. But when our stuff has our heart, we serve money to get more stuff. So Jesus commands us to surrender our money to him. Perhaps the love of money has less to do with its presence or absence and more to do with its hold on my heart. I'm so grateful that Jesus wrote down in the Bible for us what he did. He didn't leave us blind. I cannot steward well something that I love more than God. Want to know where your heart is? Maybe you could ask God. If God said to me, Josie, what do you really love? I really love you, Lord. I really do. He'll say, no. You really love your sleeping duck memory foam with individually packed five-zone coil mattress that you bought on credit. Yes, Lord, I know I did. But, Lord, I really love you. I really love you. No, you love the 65-inch 4K smart TV sitting in the lounge. There's nothing wrong with soft mattresses and beautiful TVs but they make terrible gods if we're enslaved to them. My heart will always follow follow my treasure and our heart longs to cling to something. Is your life and all that you've been blessed with surrendered to God? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.